This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and supporting listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate, or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter today. Ha-cha! Hey, I'm Chris Burnham here at Emerald City Comic Con. Uh, you're listening to the Two-Headed Nerd on the internet. Deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 479, the penultimate issue before 480 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. That's when all these storylines are going to come together, and there's going to be a huge payoff, and one of us is going to die. My name is Matt Baum. And I'm the Internet's Joe Patrick. Together, Matt and I share one body after discovering an ancient cigarette deep below Omaha and stumbled upon this curse that forces us to review and discuss comics and comic book news for the rest of time. We're immortal now. Huh? It's going to make our deaths really weird the next issue. Just like Oprah. But we'll see how we write it. In this episode, we're reviewing a stack of this week's comics and talking about some of next week's books. After that, it's time to play Nerd TV! where Joe and I will be sharing our first impressions of the new season of Jessica Jones on Netflix. It came out this week, y'all. But before we start grinding all these comics into nerdy sausage, we better talk about this week's Nerd News. Sexy. With high-profile creators doing original, out-of-continuity, blue-sky... Evergreen stories. Oh, you, I love Blue Sky, but I'm not crazy about Evergreen. Yeah, with its biggest characters, and this comes courtesy of The Hollywood Reporter. It's led by former Batman group editor Mark Doyle, and it's called DC Black Label. <laughs> parentheses, don't call it Elseworlds. Yeah. End parentheses. <laughs> the imprint is going to include some previously announced stories as well as some new projects, including... Get ready. A three-issue Superman Year One miniseries by Frank Miller and John Romita Jr. Let's just unpack that for a second. Yeah. So the last time uh, DC announced a big Frank Miller project, and okay, I'm sorry, before the last Batman thing he did, I guess, the Dark Knight, what was it? Dark Knight 3. Yeah, before Dark Knight 3 was, turned out to be a racist tirade starring Batman. Called well, the but Holy it wasn't, Terror. Though. No, it wasn't. He ended up being called the Holy Terror and done over at because Dark Horse. DC didn't publish it. Because DC didn't yeah. even want to publish it. It was so bad and racist. And Frank Miller has turned out to be a terrible person almost every time he's been talked to recently. Why are we working uh, with Frank Miller again? And so, does anyone want Frank Miller to do Superman? Right. Like, there's nothing that interests me less as an idea from DC Comics as Frank Miller's Superman. I don't like Frank Miller's Superman in his most beloved work, Dark Knight Returns, with Superman as a tool of the Republican government. I mean, like, I didn't mind that because it was clever once. It was clever. Like, you know, and, like, this was a different future. Everything had changed and it was clever. Fine. But this is not that Superman. Sure, They're sure. doing a and Superman year one thing. Right. I, just, I have no confidence that Frank Miller's Superman in the modern day is going to be what I want from a Superman story. No. I think our but, buddy Chase Magnet summed it up best when he tweeted earlier this week. He took a line directly from his Dark Knight book that he did with Jim Lee. And it said it was the scene where he's holding Robin by the throat. 
Except it was Superman. You plug in Superman instead of Batman. It's like, what are you, some kind of goddamn retard? I'm the goddamn Superman. Right, (laughs) yeah. Oh my God. No, thank you. (laughs) That's a direct quote, by the way. I know the word retard is offensive. Frank Miller's words, not mine. It is it is from All Star Batman and Robin. Thank you, All Star Batman and Robin. Uh, Enough about Frank Miller. There's lots of other books coming out, including Batman Damned by Brian Azzarello and Lee Bermejo. I'll look at anything Lee Bermejo is gonna draw. That guy is incredible. Uh, Brian Azzarello's Batman is also not my favorite, but we'll see. it'll be very beautiful. No, but this one sounds cool. It's like an Elseworlds murder mystery where it, like, it opens with the Joker dead on a bridge and Batman trying yeah, to yeah. solve the Joker's death. That sounds awesome. I'm totally into that. There's Wonder Woman Historia, colon, The Amazons by Kelly Sue DeConnick. That's a yeah. big get. I think that's like her first major uh, DC work. Uh, art by Phil Jimenez on that. Awesome. Uh, awesome. Batman. Batman Last Night on Earth, which is going to be by Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo. Uh, this was previously announced with Sean Murphy as the illustrator. Yeah, I remember that. But they kind of I, I there was a little thing with Scott Snyder online this week that said, you know, it just kind of made sense for this to be the end cap on everything Snyder and Capullo have done on Batman. Then they're just going to. Join hands and walk into the ocean together. Right? They're going to get in their car and hold hands <laughs> and then drive off drop the a cliff, cliff like Thelma and Louise. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's beautiful. We've got another de- uh, another Wonder Woman project, Diana's Daughter by Greg Rucka and an artist that has not yet been announced. So this is the, the daughter of Wonder Woman? Elseworlds, baby. Weird. And the other history of the DC Universe by John Ridley. This was previously announced. So basically, this is like a line of out of continuity stories. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Back up. Back up. What is the other history of DC Universe? What is it? I don't know this. Um, it's I don't have the notes in front of me, but it's like an examination of uh, the the history of the DCU through the eyes of um, it's more marginalized or minority characters. Oh, okay. So yep. like John Stewart and. Um, uh, Extrano from the, the New Guardians. Who That's a fun. Really cheesy character from the 80s. Um, but yeah, it sounds really great. John Ridley, of course, he wrote 12 Years a Slave. Yeah. Um, and he's uh, he also did The American Way for Wildstorm, it's which huge, recently had a comeback. Huge get for these guys. That's that's pretty awesome. Yeah. No, and all, so, all these sound great. And this is more of like that sort of, it seems like DC is moving more and more towards their superhero universe and then a collection of boutique imprints, which is cool. And I love it. Yeah. I'm all about it. Like, I don't really get too caught up in the classification of what's what. Like, I understand an out of continuity story when I read it. Sure. So it's fine if you want to say, like, DC, DC Black Label has this mission statement. Young Animal has this mission statement. Bendis's imprint that he's got coming out has this mission statement. Like, I'm fine with that as long as the stories are good. Yeah. And it seems like DC is giving these creators free reign, specifically with Black Label. They've said they have ultimate creative freedom all the way down to the creators choosing their own formats. That's uh, it's awesome. Because it which like, means that some of these will be graphic novels. Some of them will be miniseries. Some of them will be one shots. Who even knows? This is what's brilliant is because this is like the thing that image can't do where image cannot compete with DC is giving a chance for creators to work on huge iconic characters and do whatever they want with them. And it, I mean, yes. And there's no ramifications. It's not like it's going to screw up the DC universe or it's going to be like, oh, that's not my Batman. You're right. This is, you know, Joe Schmo's Batman. So settle down. If it sucks, fine. It sucks. I bet a lot I, of it's going to be great. 
Yes. But I mean, the flip side to that is that these creators don't own any of it. Well, sure. So that's something that Image has ultimately on. on oh, no. No, I'm just talking about getting a chance to like write Superman. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And and not just a chance to write. Well, Superman is a bad example because we're not looking forward to it. But no, <laughs> not just not just an example to write Superman, but an example, but an opportunity to write their Superman. Exactly. Frank um, Miller's or their Superman. Or Frank their Miller's drunk, racist, angry Superman. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, same. A funny thing. I read some tweets from Sean Murphy who said that um, Batman White Knight, the current ongoing series mm-hmm. or the, the current miniseries that's going on. Probably would have ended up in the Black Label imprint if he had waited. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, that's all it is. That's all this is. And, you know, they looked at it and went, this is really cool. We should do a whole imprint of this. <laughs> yeah, I think it's awesome. I, I think a lot of these books sound really good. The idea of DC trusting the creators to make these decisions and then also trusting the readers to understand that just because we're telling this story about a future Wonder Woman with a daughter doesn't mean that. Wonder Woman yeah, has messes a daughter. with the, right. the current day adventures of Wonder Woman or, you know, the Joker's still alive in the Batman comics. Like these are all it's like the hyper time of comics of, of like of real life comic. Stop publishing, dancing right? around it. It's Elseworlds. Call it what it is. No, I know. I know. They, why <laughs> can't just they just Elseworlds. call it Elseworlds? I know. <laughs> I get it. But like the, the idea that like all these stories can be told and they don't conflict with one another and they all have a place. Yeah, it's awesome. I love that DC is embracing that idea. Let's go over to the Star Wars desk. Big news. Elf director John Favreau has Iron signed Iron Man director. Oh, John sorry, Favreau. yeah. Okay, fine. He did Iron Man too. He signed on to uh, write and executive produce Zathura a- director John Favreau. <laughs> a new Star Wars series for Disney's planned streaming platform. There's a quote from Johnny. If you told me at 11 years old that I would be getting to tell stories in the Star Wars universe, I wouldn't have believed you. I can't wait to embark upon this exciting adventure, yada, yada, yada. So we're getting Favreau, a Star Wars story. <laughs> Everybody's super excited about it, expect, especially Bob Iger, who just gets richer by the day with Disney. We had reported that there was going to be this Disney streaming service coming soon. They're going to use us to battle Netflix. They want to go head to head with Netflix, which is Yeah, why. you know, Bob Iger came out and said there's going to be half a dozen Star Wars uh, ongoing series on this streaming service because what else do we have sure i mean um, i'll bet that gets dialed back a little bit but uh, you know no, what i mean he didn't really say that but like, i think there's gonna, Favreau, he said that there would be multiple i think favreau is a great idea i think favreau is a perfect idea for something like this he's a talented guy he's proven he can do superhero he can do sci-fi he can do comedy he can mix all that together and you've got star wars basically yeah I, uh so i was just thinking about this when i wrote this news yesterday john favreau is sort of the, the kind of younger successor to a, a, like a Ron Howard type, but with like more modern sensibilities, maybe like the sort of director that can just tell a story in multiple genres and just have it be a good time. Yeah. I know that we, when we talked about Ron Howard taking over the Han Solo movie, that he hasn't really had uh, a string of recent hits. Not exactly. <laughs> but if you look back at his filmography, you've got like you know, backdraft. No, the, the guy's very talented. No question. Yeah, right. Like, and John Favreau is that sort of guy. He his 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 resume kind of runs the gamut, and all of the movies are enjoyable in their own way. Yeah, I would say Favreau more hits than misses at present, and he's never really gone into TV. Right? This will be a new 
adventure for him. He's always done movies. I mean, he's done TV shows where he popped up here and there, but I don't think. Well, yeah, he did. uh, He did play Monica's girlfriend on Friends. Monica's boyfriend. Yeah, that's what I meant. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You don't know. He was a failed UFC fighter. (laughs) He kept getting his ass kicked. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I think it's great. I think Favreau is a great choice for one of these, uh, one of these original shows. Um, Again, we don't know what the content of any of them are going to be. But I'm totally happy if they just say, you know what, the Skywalker story is over or we're wrapping it up in the movies. This is a different corner of the Star Wars universe. Oh, they've it's already about, done. Yeah, they've already said that. We already know we're getting that. It's about Nia Nub giving the Millennium Falcon a, a car wash when nobody's using it's it or whatever the fuck. Admiral Akbar's stepson dealing with Akbar's death <laughs> in the last movie. Spoiler alert, Admiral Akbar dies. Steve in, Akbar. In other Star Wars news, longtime Star Wars composer John Williams. He's hanging it up. He announced a 2019 Star Wars episode IX, I don't know what number that is, will be his last time with the franchise. He's done. Well, it's only been 42 years, Matt. No, I get it. I suppose it's a a good time for a guy like him to put a ball on it and say, you know what, there, you've had all the Star Wars themes I'm going to write, and maybe it just doesn't feel like writing anymore. That's fine. But it's also, like we just said, it's going to be the end of that Skywalker story. This is the end of that story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is the perfect time for all those guys to go, bam, we did it, we're done, it's time for a new Star Wars, next generation, here comes Hans Zimmer and Junkie XL to... To God, put no. some into your Star Wars movies, you know, <laughs> it'll be awesome. Yeah, like, the, the Star Wars movies, if we can all agree that the Star Wars movies for all these years have been missing one thing, and that is a sick bass drop. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, Not enough but, dubstep. I've been saying that for years. <laughs> it's, my, it's my number one complaint about uh, the score for movies like Man of Steel. Uh, James Horner, I think. Whoever the composer was for Man of Steel... If they had taken Williams's foundation and built from that, I would have been so much happier with with the sound of that movie. Um, and I think it's a genius move on Disney's part to keep those familiar themes. Like Danny Elfman, when he took over Justice League and he said that he was going to drop in those familiar themes, he said, like, you'd be crazy yeah. not to use them because they yeah. make people like they it, it triggers something in people people's brains. <laughs> Yeah, it just it makes people happy. It really sets the stage. And when you sit down and you hear that Star Wars fanfare at the beginning of every movie, yeah, like you it's, know it's irresistible. You can't fight. Right, it. you're in. It you just know? like puts you right into it. Yeah. And I think that uh, if we're moving in a new direction, I think it's great. I think Williams has done well, this so is much the, for the this franchise. This is the time to do it. This is the end. It's all the old guys. Get out of here. We're done. Yeah. New stuff for Star Wars. Good for them. Uh, like. I had a brief sad moment where I was just like, oh, John Williams. But I get it. I get it. It is a good time. And he's he's built so much for other people to work on. I think it's great. Yeah. Let's go over to the Rob Leefield desk real quick. We haven't visited this one for a little while. Yes. Get ready for this news. Rob Liefeld is taking his extreme universe of comic book characters to Netflix. Oh, I can't wait for Troll. The comic oh. Let's fan cast troll real quick. (laughs) The comic creator signed a seven figure deal with the streaming network to adapt the properties into feature films with good old Akiva Goldsman tapped to overlook the writer's room. Seven figures, Matt, for Blood Wolf and Brigade. Yep. Don't forget. uh, Blood Strike. Blood Strike. 
Blood Pool. Young I think Blood. Young Blood. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Blood Pool was definitely in there. Oh my God. Uh, also, Supreme, right? Sure, sure. Alan Moore did some work there. War Child and Supreme. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. So Rob I- Leefield. And for those of you who didn't grow up in the 90s, Rob Leefield is a mysterious character. And I understand that you guys look at us like, why are we all fighting about whether or not we like this guy? He's a very nice guy. Everybody loves him. Rob Leefield was one of the hardest working guys in comics for a while. We would not have Image Comics without him, okay? He got in. He did his career own work at the time. A lot of us thought it was pretty cool because we were dumb. We got older. We looked at it and went, this guy's not good at all. (laughs) But God bless Rob Leefield. He was telling his weird little stories. He had his ideas. They were all basically, I wanted to say homages, but there were more ripoffs of stuff that we've already seen, you know? Well, yeah, kind (laughs) of. And if Netflix wants to option this stuff, here's where the fun part comes in. You don't have to take a lot of it seriously. They could have a lot of fun with this. Like, I would watch a hilarious blood pack or something, you know, where it's just this ridiculous 90s group of superheroes trying to continue to do what they were doing in the 90s in modern day. And it's just like, no, you guys are terrorists. You're all under arrest. This is really dangerous. You killed a lot of people, you know? Well, and so you mentioned Alan Moore. Like, there have been people beyond Rob that have taken his concepts and done decent things with them. Yeah. Uh, Brandon Graham's uh, Prophet. I mean, oh, man. Yeah, exactly. That would be incredible. Alan Moore's Supreme. Like, these are ideas that would be great as as movies or or Netflix uh, serialized shows, like in the vein of... Uh, Iron Fist, sure. Iron Fist, but you know what I mean. Daredevil. As a real quick aside, there is a group of modern day newcomers to the comic book industry that are so enthusiastic, like genuinely, lovingly enthusiastic about the work of Rob Liefeld and other '90s creators. Well, it makes perfect sense. We were just old enough to look at it and make fun of a lot of it, but. These we grew cre- out of it. Yeah, these creators that were five, ten years younger than us at the time, they were picking, those were some of their first comics they may have picked right. up. Right, uh, yeah. And, and they that's the love that stuff, you know? The, those image comics from the 90s, that were, those were not our first comics. No. No way. That, it was our first look into something like that, into real creator-owned universes and stuff. And we all went on the ride together, but it, a lot of it was pretty silly, let's be honest. Now, if you're a little dude, you maybe you loved Troll. Maybe you loved Bad Rock. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're but we're talking guys like Michelle FIFA. Yeah, definitely. And he's actually he's doing a Blood Strike revival. Yeah. At Image. And it's going to be bonkers. It's yeah, it's going to be fun as hell. That's the thing when they redid all those old Rob Leefield books, probably what, 5 years ago? 6 years ago? When we got Profit yes. and we got Right. You know, uh, there was a glory kind of revamp. Glory and, uh, was fantastic. I mean, they yeah. were really cool because they just got these young creators to just take the ideas and go nuts. I do not think we're going to get the ridiculous Rob Lee field dialogue. We used to get it with I, the pouches. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can take these characters and you can inject some interesting stories into them. You can put any character in an interesting story. We've seen that. Like you said, FIFA is doing a blood strike book and the previews look fantastic. I they think, do. I think this could be a lot of fun. There's no reason why, it shouldn't be fun. I just hope they don't take it too seriously. Right. Like, we have a lot of people, the comic industry in general has a lot of fun at Rob Liefeld's expense. Sure. But there, there is an audience out there of 
of young fans and uh, people that were fans that are now industry professionals that are genuine fans of his work and what he's contributed. There's no reason why that sort of thing that happened in the comics with the extreme revival and this blood strike thing can't be carried over into the realm of TV and movies. Absolutely. And one final thought on this. Don't be afraid to animate some of this, please. Don't oh, be afraid sure. to do some of it animated. I, that's We have fallen so far behind in animation, whereas like Asian markets are just continue to explode with some of the greatest animators in the world. Let's give some American animators a shot at this. Let's have fun with it. You know, <laughs> it's just it's just such a bizarre headline with like somebody wrote Rob Liefeld a check for at least one million dollars. Yeah, well, there you go. It, it's just it boggles the mind. <laughs> So there's your nerd news for this week. And of course, we want to hear from you on these stories. Everything else we missed, hit us up on the Ziggurat Direct line. It's as easy as dialing 402-819-4894. And share your thoughts with us on these stories and your Blood Wolf fan fiction for our cover-to-cover call-in show. You can call us live every Saturday morning from 1130 to 1230 Central Standard Time. We do it right after we're done recording this show. And you can watch the action live on our Facebook page. So you can interact with other nerds that are calling, okay? Think of it as your nerdy sports talk show, only we talk about comics. And let me tell you what, there was a lot of news items this week that did not make the cut uh, that are just like weird little things to talk about, like Kristen Wiig getting cast as Cheetah yeah. in Wonder Woman 2. Yeah, uh, we'll see. Like Zachary Levi's very comic book authentic Shazam costume. Man, I hope they haven't done all the effects on it yet because it looks really dumb right now. No way. I think it looks amazing. He looks, it looks so good. He looks way too beefy. He's like, it's like he's all beefed up in the suit, but his head well, is I mean, little. Yes. <laughs> I, I do agree that like physically he looks weird in it, but mm-hmm. I, like the colors, it's so bright and beautiful. Ah. Yeah, he looks like he has a uh, little kid Hulk muscle costume. <laughs> yeah, right. So tune in to cover to cover to hear our thoughts on all of that nonsense. It's dang. Kids, it's review time in the ziggurat, so prepare to hear Matt and I forcing our ill-informed opinions on some of your favorite comics. Matt, I see you came dressed in full Viking garb. Oh, yeah. So I'm guessing you're pretty fired up. I'm Why pretty fired up. First? I'm coming in hot. With Let's have it. Spider King, number one from IDW. It's written by Josh Van with art by Simone Darmini. 32 pages, three ninety nine. Here's your solicit. When a fleet of spaceships crashes into Northern Europe in 956 AD. That's a long time ago. A group of unlikely Viking heroes are the last line of defense against brutal intergalactic warlords. Equal parts science fiction and fantasy. The Spider King follows the adventures of Viking warriors as they defend their world against alien invaders armed with futuristic technology and impossible weapons. So not too long ago, writer Nathan Fairbairn and artist Matt Smith launched a comic called Lake of Fire. It is an amazing comic book about what happens when an alien invasion lands in England in 1220 AD. Knights in armor, battling aliens. It's a simple premise, and it led to a fantastic read. Here... Yes, we have something similar, only it's aliens versus Vikings. Joe hates it when I ask this question, but do we need another aliens versus ancient badass warriors book? Are the creators just aping the success of Lake of Fire here? At first glance, 
it could look that way. Like Matt Smith's soft, illustrated art style, artist Simone D'Armini has a similar animated style, but it's a little more Michael Avon. Not similar. Not Not similar. Similar in the sense that line-wise, he's not drawing really, really heavily detailed stuff. He's drawing cartoony things and crushing a lot of it in there. It's like super exaggerated, like yes. Trad Moore type stuff. Okay, I'll give you Trad Moore, definitely. It reminded me more of Oming when I was looking at it. So is it similar? Yeah. Is it worth reading? Fuck yes. Darmini packs each page with crazy amounts of detailed yet cartoonish rage and violence as two Viking clans cut themselves to pieces on the battlefield. The design and look of the characters are just <laughs> wonderfully researched and reminded me of what I loved about the characters on History's Channel's Viking show. Darmini has a style unlike anyone else on the stands at present, and wow, is he good with blood and gore. Now... One. No, like real quick, there was a moment that made me laugh so hard that probably was not supposed to be funny. <laughs> it is when those two Vikings tried to pull that Ewok shit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With the, <laughs> <laughs> with the swinging walk. Yeah, it was great. Oh, my God. Murdered that each was other. was so great. <laughs> I will say... He Darmini does this weird thing with noses that was a little hard for me at first. It looks like everybody yeah. has a vegetable on their face. Everybody <laughs> looks like uh, Humpty from Digital Underground. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Josh Van's script is vicious. It's, uh, and spelled it's, with an umpty, by the way. Thank you. Josh Van's yeah. script is vicious, mean, and drops the reader right into the action. We meet two warring clans, one led by a fearless warrior named the Wolf, and the other by an aging king with a precocious daughter who's tired of her clan's macho BS. Spider King was a pleasant surprise from two creators I've never read before this issue. I'm absolutely on board for more, and any fan of Viking history and violent sci-fi will love this book. Spider King number one is a comic meant to be read with a flagon of ale in hand and finished black metal playing on your stereo. I'm giving this a huge buy it. Uh, So, regarding the Lake of Fire comparison, uh, if you read the back matter in Spider King number one, uh, Josh Van reveals that Spider King was originally a, a Kickstarter project that was published as a graphic novel in 2016. Okay. Which is before Lake of Fire came out. Fair enough. So I don't know if Lake of Fire was also – it's sort of like a Armageddon Deep Impact situation. Yeah, you can't help but compare the two just because of what they yeah. are. That, or like um, – That is not to say there's anything wrong with – Either of them. I love them both for totally different reasons. Right. Or like X-Men and the Doom Patrol launched within three months of each other in the 60s. And it's not that people were copying each other. It's just that like something was in the water and they were like, yeah, guy in a wheelchair, team of misfits, go. Sure. And yeah, this is like – it's another in the long – in a long line of books like Cowboys versus Aliens. Yeah. It's fun to take – anachronistic settings and throwing them up against weird sci-fi concepts. It's just fun. Yeah. Like cavemen versus aliens. Give it to me. I want it. Oh, I'm totally down. Yeah, I'll do that. Um, But yeah, (laughs) this was a, it was a fun read. It took a little bit of time to get into it, but the, uh, the, the stuff between the warring clans was super compelling and I love the art. It's it's super exaggerated. Yeah, it's like so cool. Dudes with huge muscles, like very, like a cartoon. And just um, violent. Absolutely violent. <laughs> right. 
And yeah, it was really good. I'm giving it a buy it as well. Joe Patrick, why don't you take us on a little trip to Gideon Falls? Ooh, I don't know if we want to go there. Yeah? Uh, Gideon Falls number one is from Image Comics. It's written by Jeff Lemire with art by Andrea Sorrentino. Colors by Dave Stewart. Which surprised me because I think Andrea Sorrentino normally colors his own work. I think that is correct. Uh, it was 40 pages for three ninety nine, And here is your solicit. The lives of a reclusive young man obsessed with a conspiracy in the city's trash and a washed-up Catholic priest arriving in a small town full of dark secrets become intertwined around the mysterious legend of the Black Barn, an otherworldly building that is alleged to have appeared in both the city and the small town throughout history, bringing death and madness in its wake. It's like the Black Lodge in Twin Peaks. Sort of. And this book had a very Twin Peaks sort of feel to it. Yeah, definitely. The man we will eventually come to know as Norton Sinclair is crazy, or at least people think he's crazy. He's haunted by a connection between the bits of debris that he finds around the city to a place that doesn't or shouldn't exist, and it's driving him to the brink of madness. Meanwhile, Father Fred has been assigned to a new parish in the middle of nowhere, Fred is a priest that lost his way and is looking to find the path back, but he soon becomes haunted by a ghost of his own, and it's going to bind he and Norton together. Lemire has been working on uh, Gravity Falls. That's not the name of this book. No. <laughs> Lemire has been working on Gideon Falls for 20 years. I would totally read Jeff Lemire's Gravity Falls, though. I, be I would, too. Absolutely. <laughs> The character that would become Norton and imagery from this issue popped up in some of Lemire's earliest self-published work. We're talking about like hand-stapled zines that he ran off a hundred at a time at Kinko's and sold at local shops or whatever. And according to the back matter, Lemire and Sorrentino have been planning this book since they were Marvel exclusive back in 2015 on Old Man Logan. And they have the entire story planned from start to finish. We don't learn a great deal about what's happening to these characters or the true nature of the Black Barn. But I still kind of got the sense that there's a detailed roadmap for this story. And all we need to do is trust the creators to take us along for the ride. There's a very sinister feeling that permeates every page of this issue. Thanks to the stunning art by Andrea Sorrentino and colorist Dave Stewart. Sorrentino's black line work is patchy and it looks almost incomplete as though there were parts of the story missing. It looks like staticky and Stewart uses a muted color palette and reserves flashes of intense red for the most unsettling or surprising moments. It's it's beautifully illustrated and the visuals are executed in a way that like when you turn the page and you say, boom, flash of red. Yeah, something is something bad is happening. And it, it just – it really is effective in that way. Gideon Falls number one is a very slow start to a dark story full of mystery and dread. We don't learn a lot, but there was enough there to hook me and bring me back for more. And I'm okay with a slow burn if it's executed well. And Lemire, Sorrentino, and Stewart are masters. I'm giving it a buy it. I – earlier you had said that normally – Sorrentino inks his own stuff. And I, and I think you're correct. And colors, one of the, yeah. uh, pardon me, colors his own stuff. And I think you're right because like, I've always liked Sorrentino and thought that he was very good, 
Like I liked his run on Green Arrow a lot, although his stuff does get a little stiff when it comes to motion. It doesn't work so well for superhero type books. It works very well for something like this. I did not have that problem here. And what Dave Stewart brought to the book, I think, was just coming at Sorrentino and said, hey, let's just turn the contrast way up, way up. So certain pages are so dark that it looks like it's scratched out of a scratch board almost. And then when that splash of red does show up, it lights up the entire book and gives it this terrifying feel. Uh, The way the barn kind of glowed too. It was this super dark barn with just a little bit of red barely coming through the cracks. And it just gave it this like, that is a terrible place. You don't want to go there. (laughs) Oh, and something that I didn't mention uh, uh, is that this is like a dual narrative sort of in the kind of similar to the way like um, Trillium was. Sort of, yeah. They but do, not they, as a, not as exaggerated as no, Trillium. They do not like flip book style. You've got the crazy guy that's collecting what he what other people think is garbage in the city, and it's obviously where the Black Barn used to be. And then you have the preacher who is where the Black Barn is. And when the two of them are getting close to realizing something, they sort of sew them like together, together. But one is upside down, almost like one right, is looking like, at the other one underwater. It, in that panel, in that page where there's the half splash of the black barn, it's like a three quarter splash of the black barn in the field with Father Fred, and then underneath that, like a quarter size panel. Yeah. Upside down is Norton with a scrawled drawing of the of the barn in red colored pencil. And or none of this is a spoiler, by the way, because we have no idea what's going on yet. Well, like, you didn't know. And like they mentioned the black barn and the solicit. And I wish they I wish they didn't. Yeah. I kind of wish um, they wouldn't have either. So you just get to it and we're like, what the hell is that? Right. <laughs> but uh yeah, it, it was such an effective panel to have like Fred boom with the barn. Yeah. And then it's like almost mirrored by Norton and his like fevered drawing of the barn. Yeah, it's it's really difficult to create Horror is just tough in comics, period, because you can't have stuff jumping out at you. You're just not going to get those moments. You can draw really scary things, but when you're turning the page and you see it coming, it's hard to get there. So the most effective way to do horror is to create a sense of dread, and that is very, very difficult, and you have to have very talented artists to do it, and they just killed it here. This book absolutely conveys dread throughout the entire thing yeah it was just very creepy yeah i really enjoyed it i gotta see where this goes i'm giving it a buy it as well awesome so that is a double buy it for spider king number one and a double buy it for gideon falls but honestly who cares what we think we want to know what you nerds thought about these comics so we're going to post our reviews over at twoheadednerd.com then you can respond to them in the thn forums over on the thn facebook page or even at the thn fan facebook page which i never check so you don't have to worry about me coming at you okay don't worry about it don't listen to him he checks it (laughs) he's a sensitive baby he wants to know what you think In true St. Patrick's Day fashion, Matt and I have been swilling Mickey's hand grenades, and now it's time for a good old-fashioned Donnybrook. Ha-ha! With the hapless, sober Moloids working our mushroom fields. That's right, baby. Matt, let's chug one more, roll up our sleeves, and go punch some faces in while we review eight more of this week's Comics 
Fury. Jesus, dude, I think that one's had enough. Oh. Come on. <laughs> the ludicrous speed round. Ludicrous speed. Go. Green Hornet, number one from Dynamite. I have no real nostalgia when it comes to the Green Hornet, and this seems to continue on from the previous Dynamite volumes. But I have to admit that writer Amy Chu and artist German Good Eramuspa. Oh, no way you said that right. <laughs> Eramuspa have created a mostly accessible first issue that told me everything I needed to know about the story so far. If you're a fan of the character and his legacy, this is a worthy addition to the mythos. For me, Green Hornet number one gets a strong skip. Infinity Countdown number one from Marvel. Okay, warning, this book is essentially Guardians of the Galaxy 151. And if you yep. haven't been reading writer Jerry Duggan's run, you will be lost. A little bit. Duggan finishes his story of the Guardians fighting the Gardener, a, which it's too funny to even say out loud, a poisoned elder of the universe who created an army of Groots while showing us Drax defending the Power Stone with the help of Nova Corps from raptors that look like Darkhawk. I had almost no clue what was actually happening here and can't imagine anyone else that hasn't been reading Guardians would. Infinity Countdown was a very strange first issue and not a good way to start another event book, not to mention the fact that like right after they finish that Guardian story, they go, bang, here's the Black Widow doing something in Madripoor for some reason. That said, Aaron Cooter's art is fucking awesome. That guy's gotten so good at what he does, giving this a strong skim it because it was not a so bad issue, a but it's not a good number one. This is not the beginning of an event. There's a lot of different threads in Infinity Countdown, as was evidenced in the two prelude one-shots. But the stuff with the Power Stone and Drax uh, is so entrenched in what Duggan was doing in Guardians yeah. that it's a tough thing to get into if you're not familiar with this it. This is a bad number one, is what it is. Dr. Star and the Kingdom of Lost Tomorrow is number one from Dark Horse. This series was originally solicited under the working title... A love letter to Joe Patrick regarding everything he cherishes in comics. Man, Jeff really likes you. <laughs> he does. Jeff Lemire and artist Max Fiumara expand the Black Hammer universe with this wonderful homage to Starman and the JSA, and it's every bit as good as you'd want it to be. The only reason Dr. Star wasn't my main review is because I couldn't find it in my heart to be critical you of it. You're such a baby. It's a huge bite. It's so good. You it guys. was wonderful. Dodge City, number one from Boom. This is a comic about dodgeball, and most of the reviews I've seen have been glowing ones. Me? I don't fucking get it. First of all, as far as I know, dodgeball is not a sport. And while I applaud the diversity represented in the book, there was nothing about any of the characters other than exceptionally twee and cute sensibility that desperately wanted to be a Scott Pilgrim comic that makes me want to come back. Maybe it's not for me, but I'm giving the unfunny anime humor of Dodge City a leave it. You have no heart. That's all there is to it. You just have no heart. Did you read it? No. It wasn't funny. If okay. it was funny, that'd be one thing. This just wasn't even funny. It's cute. Some people like cute things. The Highest House, number one from IDW. <laughs> Lucifer and the Unwritten Creators, Mike Carey and Peter Gross, are back for another deep dive into a fantasy world with a ton of lore. It's a wonderful read, and Peter Gross's art is magical. I even learned a fair bit about ancient roofing techniques. Oh, hey. Yeah. If you can hang with the dense, dense storytelling, there's a lot to like about The Highest House. I'm giving it a buy it, but, I mean, there's that caveat. My carry is awesome, though, but yeah. 
Get ready for a ride. That dude writes novels packed inside of comics. He's awesome. Shade, the changing woman, number one from DC slash Young Animal. Shade returns with a new number one, and it's still almost completely unintelligible. Now, I admit, I didn't read past the first issue of the last run, but this is a new number one. I should be able to pick it up and jump into the world of Shade, the changing woman, right? Wrong. I could not follow any of this. Starting with the first page, I was lost, and by the last page, even more confused. Shade the Changing Woman reminded me of an anime with a great soundtrack and no story. The pictures were very nice to look at. Marley Zircone and Jamie Coe are great on the art, but there is no story. <laughs> Sing, leave it. Oblivion Song by Kirkman and Dave Felici. Number one from Image. Yep, that's the full title of this new series from Walking Dead creator Robert Kirkman's Skybound imprint. I hate that. I hate are that. You, when they're like, yeah. Frank Miller's RoboCop, but he, he didn't even really write it, you know? Okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> a decade ago, 300,000 citizens of Philadelphia were suddenly lost in oblivion, a hell dimension that spilled over into our world. The government eventually gave up on those that were lost, but Nathan Cole keeps up the search on his own, and something in oblivion is searching for Nathan. This is a great concept. It hooked me right away. Thanks to some awesome art and Guy Davis-inspired creature designs. Oh, yeah, big time. From artist Lorenzo De Felici. The last couple of Kirkman's concepts didn't really grab me. Uh, Thief of Thieves, I think, was one of them. And uh, the well, one about demon possession. Thief of Thieves was really good. It just, like, stopped coming out for long periods of time. And then when it came back, I didn't even remember why I liked it. Well, and they had rotating writers, too. Yeah. And so I just, I, I didn't hang with it. Uh, the other one about demon possession, what was it even called? Cursed, maybe? No, Outcast. Outcast, yes, thank you. Got that, me into I, a TV show. I, it did, a very short-lived TV show. Yes. And I was not into that at all, but this, I think, is going to be great. Oblivion Song number one gets a buy it. I really liked it. Prism Stalker number one from Image. I'm going to sound like a real asshole this week, but let's continue my <laughs> hate fest. There's a lot of psychedelic neon art here as Vep, a slave forced to gather eggs by some alien that looks like it was borrowed from Brandon Graham's Prophet series. There was very little story here, but plenty of dialogue or pointless narration. After reading issue number one, I have little or no idea what's happening, why Zep is doing whatever the hell she's doing, and what would possibly make me want to read more. I'm giving this a leave it. It looked pretty, though. The it cover looks pretty pretty. It looked very pretty. Grouch! <laughs> that is your ludicrous speed round. And grouch! For those of you who can't see the script, it is G-R-A-U-J. That's a tough yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the sound of a giant fish monster emerging from the water, as seen in the pages of The Mercenary, Volume 2, by Vincente Segreles. This was submitted by our man Camarillo Brillo himself, Carl Smith, via Twitter. If you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week, just hit us up on any of our various social media platforms or shoot an email at twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Joey, I know how much you love to get drunk and punch molars, but I'm not going to lie. I had a pretty good time doing it this year, too. <laughs> but now my shoulders are killing me. So why don't we retire to the teach-in sanctum sanctorum. We can talk about some of our must-read picks for next week. And, word has it, 
Our personal masseuse, Spiral, is warming up those metal hands for some deep tissue action. Joey, what is your pick for next week? If she doesn't warm like up, my, uh, woo, it's so cold. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't like my forearm suggestion, huh? Yeah, you know, it's just his pressure is it's too much for me, you know? He's meaty. He's, yeah. he's got meaty hands. Yeah. When I want a Which, sports massage, I'm calling forearm, okay? When I want go, yeah. deep tissue Swedish, you got to go with Spiral, baby. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I need something gentle and soothing. My pick for next week, which, no joke, is one of the lightest weeks I've seen in memory. I noticed that. There's like 12 comic books coming out next week. Get ready for us to review a lot of things in mid-storyline. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> New Mutants Dead Souls, number one from Marvel Comics, written by Matthew Rosenberg with art by Adam Gorham. It's 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. Oh, man. They aren't just the X-Men in training anymore! Uh-huh. Ha-ha! The New Mutants are launching themselves headfirst into some of the creepiest corners of the Marvel Universe! Ha-ha! Uh-huh. <laughs> Going on the missions no one else will. But does the team know what they are really hunting for? Uh-huh. Huh? <laughs> and what are they... <laughs> Why are we doing this? Ha-ha! Uh-huh. I don't know! And what are they willing to do to get it? Uh-huh! <laughs> The enigmatic magic will lead the team of Wolfsbane, Richter, Boom Boom, and Strong Guy. Only one of which, two of which, were actually new mutants. <laughs> yes. And bring them face-to-face with paranormal threats that they may not be prepared for. And that might just tear them apart. Ha-ha! Um, ha-ha! Uh, rising star, blah, you don't blah, need blah. To read that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Here's- Welcome to the new class of new mutants. Hope you make it out alive. I'm excited. because this. That looks- is not the quote. That is not the quote, no, Michael Rosenberg. That's not it's it. It's welcome to the new class of new mutants. Hope you survive the experience. Okay, look, he may not have written this. Some schmo working in their, you know, one of the interns, I'm sure, writes these. Fire that intern. The point being, I love magic. I love Wolfsbane. I really like Richter, but last I checked, he didn't have powers, as I recall. Boom, boom, I'm fine with. Now, I fucking love Strong Guy. I love Strong Guy, I too. love Strong Guy. And a couple months ago, when... Gorham, no, actually, Matthew Rosenberg retweeted Gorham, like, putting up some preview art, and it was like, here comes our new mutant story, and I was like, is that Strong Guy? Is that fucking Strong Guy? Tell me that Strong Guy. Is that Strong Guy? And he was like, dude, chill. It's Strong Guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a weird, I don't know, man. There's a there's a new mutants movie coming, and maybe some of those characters are supposed to be some of these characters in the movie, but this is a weird lineup, right? Nah, I mean, the new mutants movie is a year away. I mean, I get it, but... Still, wouldn't they want to build some steam for it or something? I, I don't know. I just think this is a weird lineup. I like Rosenberg. I like Orem. I think this sounds fun. And they are sort of returning to the New Mutants, dealing with like the scary parts of the Marvel Universe, which I'm okay with. I love that in the old books. And if this gets it going, great. But, you know. Yeah. Where's the other New Mutants? <laughs> That's my question. Well, <laughs> Cannonball and Sunspot are in the Avengers. I know. I know. I don't. And right now, well, they're Cannonball trapped. and Sunspot are sort of kind of in the Avengers when they feel like drawing them on panel. They don't do shit in the Avengers. No, Sunspot was the leader of the U.S. Avengers. He was like the lead character of that book. Yeah, a book He's that the, nobody he, read that got canceled and we're never going to hear about again. <laughs> I'm sure that people read it. He's, he's the new Citizen V. They call him Citizen V now. Yeah, I don't care for that. I don't like it. He owns AIM. It's weird. Sunspot's in a weird place. But yeah, I, like, they keep bringing back the name New Mutants when what they really mean, like, these characters have not been the New Mutants since they were teenagers. No. That what they mean is X-Force, but they can't use the name X-Force because that means Murder Squad now. Right. 
but like Richter, Boom Boom, Wolfsbane, and Magic, they were all involved. They were all in and out of you know X Force type books in the nineties. And I love Strong Guy too. I, I think it's a great collection of characters. I'm not that hung up on the name of, of what they call themselves, but I like Matthew Rosenberg a lot. I do too. He's very uh, talented. Adam, Adam Gorham is also really great. He's a fantastic artist. So yeah, I'm into it, man. I, I, I love it when they bring back these kind of lower tier younger characters. No, I totally agree. Just don't de-age them. I don't want them to be kids again. Let's, let's have them be. No, no, no. I don't think there's any danger. They all growed up. They all growed up. Uh, listen, Matt, I'm having a really hard time reading the name of this book and not pronouncing it Vampirotica. <laughs> it's Vampironica. Which was a different comic book altogether. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a whole different thing. I think Glenn Danzig was part of that. My pick for next week is Vampironica, number one from Archie. It's written by Greg and Megan Smallwood with art by Greg Smallwood. It's wow. 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. New ongoing series! When Veronica is bitten by a centuries-old vampire, her thirst for blood threatens to turn Riverdale into a haven for the undead. Will she put an end to the vampire threat or give in to her bloodlust? All of these Archie horror books are wonderful. They are wonderful. I can't say that enough. And Greg Smallwood is a fucking badass artist. It's I know. It's true. And I'm really looking forward to reading this, but what a bizarre thing to be happening. Oh, I love it. I, Greg yeah. Smallwood's Vampire Veronica. I know. That, like, just think 10 years ago, you, if you told us this was coming. There is not an amount of money I would bet that you are wrong. And it just goes to show how amazing what they're doing at Archie is right now. I'm super excited for this. The same. The THN Trade of the Week goes to Green Lantern Earth One Hardcover Volume 1 from DC Comics, written by Gabriel Hardman. And Karina Bechko. It's Hard Man. Gabriel Hard Man. Yeah. With art by the Hard Man. Yeah. <laughs> it's 144 pages for $24.99. It's, uh, it's a hardcover, right? Yeah. It's a hardcover. It's yeah. a hardcover. It's the same as all the other uh, Earth One books. Right. Here's your solicit. The newest Earth One original graphic novel presents an all-new origin for the Emerald Warrior. Hal Jordan yearns for the thrill of discovery, but the days when astronaut and adventure were synonyms are long gone. His gig prospecting asteroids for Ferris Galactic, whoa, oh. is less than fulfilling. Ha ha! Is less than fulfilling. <laughs> but at least he's not on Earth, where technology and culture have stagnated. When Jordan finds a powerful ring, he also finds a destiny to live up to. Ha ha! There, <laughs> there are worlds beyond his own, unlike anything he ever imagined. But revelation comes with a price. The Green Lantern Corps has fallen, wiped out by ruthless killing machines known as Manhunters. Oh, those assholes. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> the odds against reviving the Corps are nearly impossible, but doing the impossible is exactly what Hal Jordan was trained to do. There you go. Um, That's a long-ass solicit, and okay. I feel like I've read the whole book. Let's just back up. I thought we were done with Earth One. Have Nope. No? This has been in the works for a long time. Really? Yeah, and there's a second volume of Wonder Woman coming out from Grant Morrison. Huh, okay. I, yeah. I, just, I didn't know. I thought this Earth One stuff was over. And this is more, is it Elseworld? 
Worlds? No, but it's also well, not Black Label. It's just Earth, I mean, Earth, it's Earth One. One. Yeah. I mean, why I mean, not? They should have just held off and put it out of, as a Black Label. That's what I'm saying. Why not say, okay, fuck, look, screw the hardcover. We've already got the hardcover version done. Let's release it in issue form under Black Label. And then, oh, look, here's the hardcover collection. What is the point I mean, of this whatever. Earth One shit at this point? It, Earth One, it's an, existing, it's an existing line that they've got going. It's fine. But, yeah, I... The reason I picked this book, like, I have not been a fan of most of the Earth One books. I really like the Batman ones. The Superman ones started good, but they ended up really bugging me. Yeah, I I don't even Um, think they started good. I didn't like it. And honestly, I kind of skipped the rest. But I love Gabriel Hardman and Karina Bechko. Oh, yeah, definitely. They are a kick ass, they're husband and wife, and they are a kick ass creative team. They did a lot of great work on those Planet of the Apes books you love so much. Oh, they're wonderful. Wonderful. And Hardman is a fantastic artist. Yeah, I just don't get why it's not black label. That's my only bitch. They gotta they gotta they gotta go to the dance with who brought them, you know what I mean? Fair or whatever enough. the saying is. Fair, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's it, but okay. <laughs> but you know what I mean. <laughs> they gotta dance with who brung them. <laughs> you gotta dance with who brung them. <laughs> It, next, it should be good. I'm looking forward to it. Next time on Southern Gothic Comic Cast. <laughs> oh, buddy. My shoulders are jello. <laughs> so now you heard our picks. Be sure to let us know what you're planning on reading. Ooh, ooh, over to the THN forums. And don't be afraid to pick something for us that you'd like to hear us review. Right there. Ooh, right there. Ow! Gentles! <laughs> I said gentle! Jessica Jones is back on Netflix for season two, which means it's time for Nerd TV. I'm not doing that thing that Matt does. You're doing it wrong. He's good at it. I'm not. Now, Matt, I have watched the first six episodes. I'm an, I'm at three. I've watched Oh, three. boy. Yeah. Listen, you had two days. It's true. <laughs> How are you feeling so far about Miss Jones's new season? I forgot. What I really enjoyed about the first season of Jessica Jones, because it, it's been a while since we've seen it. and Two and a half years. Yeah. And since it came out, we had Luke Cage, we had another Daredevil, we had a really shitty Iron Fist, and we had a mediocre Defenders, and we had a fucking great Punisher series. And each one was done slightly different. Luke Cage was done with some hip-hop sensibilities and set to music, and it felt very, like, updated exploitation. Iron Fist, I don't know what the fuck they were thinking. Daredevil was just, like, a return to what Daredevil does well, and The Punisher was murder porn on television, okay? Just Daredevil to- season two was not that great. I liked it. I still had a lot In of- hindsight. I still really enjoyed it. I thought it ended very well. But this we're not talking Daredevil. We're talking Jessica. What Jessica Jones does better than any of those shows is examine- the true psychology of a damaged character. And they could have very easily gone back to the whole, oh, Jessica is still damaged by the purple man after he messed her. But it's different. Now Jessica is damaged because she straight up killed that guy. She murdered him. And everybody knows it. Her secret is out. People think she's a vigilante, but she's also a killer, and that's okay because something bad happened to her, and she's trying to rationalize all this. And they've done such a great job because they could just take this character and just make her a bitch. She's a tough, mean bitch. And she is, but it's for a reason. And right. That's not, it's not just because of that. It's because right. she's hurting. She's hurting 
and people are scared of her or they expect something of her. Right. Or, and, yeah. And they're clever enough to continue running with that without beating it into the dirt and without making it a crutch for the character either. Like, not only is she damaged, she uses that to make herself stronger, too. Well, and she also has moments of humanity where she's yeah. like, where the hard exterior kind of chips away and she has these moments of softness and otherwise and, it would be really kindness or whatever. just be impossible to root for her. Well, sure. And that was, that was the, that was the charm of the first season. Yes. Because it was the same then too. It's not that she, it, it's not just that she was a bitch. She was understandably hardened by the trauma that she'd been through. Right. And, and but she wasn't an unfeeling monster either. No, no, not at all. And I think what they're doing here is really cool because in the first one, we, we didn't get like the secret origin of Jessica Jones. We met Jessica Jones. She had her powers and she had this backstory with this character that had damaged her badly. That was back in her life. And she was dealing with that. Now we're digging more into where did Jessica Jones powers come from? And guess what? It's also a horrible story. <laughs> like, it's very bad. It's uh, super tragic. Uh, and they throw the wizard in there. <laughs> oh, man. I, I, I want to talk about the wizard so bad, I but know. I feel bad for spoiling it. No, I, I don't think it's a spoiler alert at all. Because like in the first episode, they set him up right away. And I was like, oh, that's fun. It's a little gag, the crazy guy. For those of you that don't know, the wizard in the comics is a golden age Marvel character. He had super urination powers. He no. wasn't he wasn't fast, but he could He's like the Flash. He could control his urine to such degree that he could like <laughs> blow you across the street or like blow a bank vault door off, you know, it's crazy. False. <laughs> uh, the thing is is that Marvel uh, Marvel's golden age is not super duper fleshed out uh in terms of the modern day. Uh and a lot of that stuff was created retroactively in the 60s. When they brought back Captain America and they introduced the invaders in the 70s. Right. So I'm not 100% sure that the wizard is actually from the Golden Age, but he's a character that was – he was basically like the Golden Age Flash. He, he's super speed. He wore a ridiculous yellow costume with a bright blue W on it. It's really stupid. Yeah. Uh, and for a really long time, they thought that the wizard was the father of the Vision – uh, was the father of Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch. Okay, let's get back to Jessica Jones here. <laughs> anyway, it's a super fun treat that the Thank wizard you. is in this Thank show. you for your wizard. <laughs> your Next wizard time bio. on Wizardcast. <laughs> I, the one thing that they really needed to do with this show was bring me back into the fold after the Defenders because I did not care for the Defenders. I thought it was... The Defenders is very mediocre. Yeah, it yeah, was extremely right. mediocre. And I think the further these characters get away from Iron Fist and the creative team that's working on Iron Fist, the better it is. And this is the same team that worked on the first season of Jessica Jones. They instantly bring back that detective noir feel to the story. Trish is back, and I think her character is even more interesting this year than she was last year. She's sort of going on like the same journey as Jessica where she is also damaged and has some stuff in her past, but she's dealing with it a very different way. And I'm really excited for her. I want her to become Hellcat. I want to see it. Um, you know, okay. Don't spoil uh, anything for me. I will not. Uh, I will suffice it to say that 
uh, halfway through the season. If this does not end with her at least thinking about becoming a superhero, it will be a huge wasted opportunity. Yeah, because they're really teasing us with a great character. So right keep watching for sure. Yeah, but um, I love her character and I love how the two play off each other. I really like uh, her assistant who is keeping her kind of grounded. Malcolm, yes. yes. I mean, this, um, this show is just a fantastic character piece and it doesn't have to weigh heavy on the superhero aspect. That is part of it. She's in trying to investigate where her powers came from and the death of this other character. You know, that's definitely part of it, but this is really an interpersonal story of two women that lived through real trauma and how they're both dealing with it. And it's just, I am so happy to have this show back and to feel good about Marvel's Netflix again. You know what I mean? I agree. That is not to say I didn't love the Punisher. I loved the Punisher, but the Punisher just felt completely separate and on its own. It did. I'm going to say this uh, to be somewhat critical. Um, I watched the first two episodes on Thursday night, uh, which is weird. It, it launched on a Thursday, not a Friday, but it was International Women's Day. So it launched on International Women's Day. Um, I don't know if I was just tired or if it was too late, but I thought that the first two episodes were extremely slow. I See, I didn't. I think you were tired. I didn't. But... I, I kept watching. I kept watching last night and I shotgunned through four more episodes and I loved them. I, 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 I love where the story is going. It took a while for it to kind of get going. I'm still not 100% sure even six episodes in where the main conflict is going to lie. I don't know who the villain is going to be, if there even is going to be a villain. Uh, there have been some huge twists, especially in the sixth episode. That had me very interested, but um, I am very invested now in this investigation about her history and where her powers came from and the shady organization that experimented on her. It's very compelling. Yeah. And it's gotten more compelling with each subsequent episode. Yeah, I'm just happy to have Um, Jessica Jones back in her own series, and I think at this point, I I mean, I'm only three episodes in, but it's safe to say... For me, she's the most interesting Netflix series we have going right here. Yes, I I loved Daredevil. I loved Daredevil season one especially. Um, but Jessica Jones by far is the best of all the Marvel shows. Yeah, I rewatched season one not that long ago. It holds up totally. Definitely, definitely. And it was it was really great, uh, even on a second viewing. And that's because of the characters and the actors playing those roles. This show in particular is so well casted uh, and they're doing great stuff with it. I will say that it does suffer from a lot of the pacing problems that all of the Netflix shows have suffered from because they are locked into this arbitrary 13 episode. Yeah. And so you get stories like they only have 13 episodes to work with. And yet we're still getting like, a side story about Jerry Hogarth, the Carrie Ann Moss lawyer character, uh, a, a side story about Trish. And it's not that they're not interesting, but they're totally unconnected. Well, for now they are, I guess. No, they are. They are just unconnected. It's just like, I this thing, like going, on with, this thing building, going on with Jerry Hogarth is totally unrelated to anything going on. I feel like they're building something there. Otherwise, why show us this at all? I don't know. But, but they've done it in all of the shows. That's right. All of the shows have had these weird little subplots that didn't have anything to do with anything because they have to fill 13 episodes. Right. If this show was like 
eight episodes or ten episodes and they tightened it up a little bit, they'd be masterpieces. Sure. But I'm really enjoying it so far. I'm 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 getting deeper into it every episode I watch. I think that Jessica Jones is the best thing that Marvel has done on Netflix. I totally agree. I couldn't agree more. I'm glad to have her back. Excelsior! Oh. That is it for THN 479. Before we get out of here, Joe Patrick, I need you to tell these nerds about the new question of the damn week. Holy smokes. This week's question is a heady one. It comes from JD Gotta Catch Em All. He's a heady guy. the THN Facebook fan page. He asks, quote, I was listening to the Felix Comic Art Podcast. Fake news, there are no other podcasts. Yeah, I've never heard of it. And there was a discussion about if there have been any truly important works produced since Dark Knight Returns, Watchmen, Mouse, etc. While they were discussing, they were discussing it in terms of impact on the industry, not the art value. Gotcha. And not like whether or not they were popular or just well done. Yeah, not sales. They're talking about game changers, that not just for the industry, but for the medium of comics. Okay. So what are your thoughts? Since the mid-80s, have there been any comic book industry game changers? Hmm. Man, I'm going to have to give that one some thought. That's crazy. Yeah, and again, like I, I can't stress it enough. We're not just talking about things that were just really well-received, like right. by The Last Man. Right. Why The Last Man, as good as it is, it didn't change the industry. No. It's just a really good book. Yeah, it's a really good book, regardless of what people say about it today. Kids, THN is a listener-supported podcast, and we want to thank everyone that shows out their hard-earned cash they could be spending at their local comic book shop by supporting us on both PayPal and Patreon. Without you kids, we cannot afford our beautiful, talented, and quite strong for her size, six-armed masseur spiral. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to loyal listener Ethan Harrison, admin of the Facebook fan page, who stepped up big time and scored us a ton of great show intros from the Emerald City Comic Con nice this done weekend. Word to you, buddy. You guys, can't stress it enough. If you're going to a convention, if you're out getting egg salad sandwiches, wherever you are, if you run into a celebrity of any type. Say Hillbilly Jim is there, you know? Go get an intro. Jim Duggan. <laughs> Ravishing Rick Rude. Any ex-playmate. I'll take any of them. <laughs> Wrestlers especially. Oh, yeah. Intros. Comic industry peeps. We want them. You know how to get them. Get them to us. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just tear up all your signed ex-playmate pictures. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off.